Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic interventions. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to a bonus episode of the Labors of Love podcast. So it's 3 (laughs) a.m. and I just needed to get this out. Um, I've been sitting talking to Jay for, I don't know how long I was talking, probably over an hour. And... One of my routines is to go sit on the porch, sometimes the front porch, sometimes the back porch, and just sit, feel the breeze, look at the sky, be present with spirit and daddy. And just as I was sitting there, still processing, ruminating what I'm going through, uh, I decided I wanted to record this. So I want to be clear that I'm I'm sharing my experience. Um, it's not intended to be diagnostic, but what I know about humanity, but what I also know about myself, my gift and how that works is that, um, what I'm going through is not isolated. It's not singular. Um, so I'm, I'm sharing this. I've shared previously on the podcast that I am a reflector. Um, and I'm just hoping that there are some people who can feel seen um, through what I'm going to share. So I want to let people know that if you have an interest in the details of what I'm going to share, because I'm not really going to go into details about my past, but in this particular, for this particular incident, I have done that. So I want to make reference to episode 114 of the Labors of Love podcast. Uh, It is titled Sexual Assault, R. Kelly and Protecting Black Girls. Because in that particular episode, hands down, the most vulnerable uh, podcast I've done to date, that's where I kind of talk about the specific incident that I will be referencing in this podcast. So um caveat content warning is heavy. Um, so I'm not even necessarily suggesting that you go listen to it. I'm just letting you know where you can find the details. What I really want to talk about is parenting through our own trauma. So my firstborn child, my son will be 14 in a few days. And I mean, that's in some ways, I have this time warp thing with him where it seems like he's been here my whole life. Um, he is the most important and one of the very few carryovers from what feels like another lifetime, a past lifetime for me, my former life. 
Um, so in that regard, I feel like he's been here forever. And at the same time, I'm like, man, I'm about to have a 14 year old. Um, my son, he reflects challenges and pushes me in so many beautiful and hard ways. Um, he is the opposite of a shapeshifter. Like he is who he is. And I don't know whether or not he is, I don't, I, I, I can't assess his confidence, if you would, in who he is, but whether he feels confident in who he is or not, what we know about him is he is who he is. And in social situations that I, as a person who learned how to people please and shapeshift, could recognize the social requirements and demands of a particular social situation and alter how I was showing up based on it. He don't do that. <laughs> he is not motivated um, by pleasing others. That doesn't mean that he he's he's not what we would consider like a disrespectful, combative, none of that, right? It's it's not a behavioral thing that I'm alluding to. It's his essence that if he's in a, a social situation, an example being a family gathering a couple of weeks ago, where I, from a very young child, understood in these particular situations, particularly with older family members, that the the social expectation of the space is to not just behave, but, you know, go and give everyone a hug and, and, you know, give my, my body and my time over to the expectations of the adults in the space. My child don't do that. <laughs> so when some aunts were around and, you know, come, we, you know, like Jay and I gave them hugs and they kind of came to the girls and, you know, not forcefully, but like, can I have a hug? And the girls had their cell phones, you know, that they were playing on and, you know, they would stop and give a hug. My son is like, I mean, he spoke because, you know, speaking to someone is respectful and, but he did not get up and give them hugs. And I felt the tension within my body because like, that's what you're quote unquote supposed to do. But what I learned from him so constantly when we're in social situations together is that he does not have a relationship with them that warrants his affection in that way. Also keep in mind that my son has said like, he doesn't like hugs and I'm a hugger. Y'all, I'm a soul hugger. <laughs> I love hugs, but I don't force my son to hug me. So if me, his mother, and Jay, his father, do not require of him and his body something that he has said to us he does not like, why would he feel compelled with strangers, essentially? Strangers he's seen before and met before, but still strangers, he feels no compelling or motivation or expectation that he has to give himself over to someone in that particular way. And it is beautiful. It's challenging because my littles got activated and they're like, oh, he needs to do that. And 
I I had to do my own internal work not to become that mom that's like going over there and give so and so a hug cuz you know that that that's in me. So that's just a little background about my son. Um I love him so much y'all. Um he's amazing. He's just an amazing human. He's my firstborn. But what I really came here to talk about is the fact that he's turning 14. And for the last maybe week, I've kind of been joking about it with him. Like, hey, did you know your birthday next week? Did you know you're going to be 14? And he's not a person that gets really excitable about much of anything, unless he's downstairs gaming. And that's a different kind of excitable. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you ready? Because I ain't ready. (laughs) I ain't ready for this, you know? 13 is like, uh, teenager, yeah. I mean, you just got here, but like 14 is real, real. So I've been saying those kind of things, mainly just wanting to be like, hey, your birthday's coming up. But tonight, um, as I was just sitting reflecting like, man, in a few days, my baby's going to be 14. I started to remember that I was once 14. And I started to just sit and reflect on what my, what year 14 was for me technically I guess it would be year 15 but it doesn't matter I I feel like once I turned 14 (laughs) in that year some pretty terrible things happened to me when I was 14 and so I want to share my experience that I know is not isolated and I feel like my my mentor that I had going through college, Mary Vicario, she, she's all neuroscience. And she has some neuroscience around this that I don't remember right now, mainly because I am grounded. I can feel my body. I feel my feet on the floor. I feel myself in the seat. But I am, and I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm dysregulated, but I am still activated. My parts are activated. I've been doing a lot of the work that I help people do. I'm talking to that 14-year-old girl. I'm saying things to her like, I see you. And I'm here to protect you now. Those things won't happen to you again. Because when our children, and this can happen for folks um, who don't have children. And this is, it could be your biological children, it could be people you're raising, whatever that is. But when our children and young people that we are caring for reach the age of significant trauma for us, it can activate our trauma. I want people to be aware of that because without that awareness, you might not recognize, we might not recognize that the activation that's starting to happen within us impacts our relationship with said young people. So one example could be that, you know, if something really terrible happened to you at a certain age, when your child gets to that age, you might have a response where you become super strict um, and rigid around what you allow your child to do in an effort to protect them. If you're not connecting that to your own experience, 
um, then, you know, you're just, this is just, I'm parenting or whatever the thing is. Like we, we gotta, as parents, this really is for my parents. We, we have to constantly keep coming back home to self and being aware of what's happening within us because while anyone can reparent their littles, and I'm encouraging that, when we are parenting our children who are outside of us, it's like double, triple, quadruple duty. So some other folks might get to a point where when some pretty hard, challenging, and terrible things happen to them, uh, they might dissociate. So their child might get to a particular age that activates something in them. Any of the five responses can get activated. The flock, the flee, the fight, the freeze, the fawn. But when we do our work, our own healing work, it doesn't mean it doesn't come. It doesn't mean we don't get activated. It just increases the likelihood that we recognize that it's our activation and that trying to externally distance ourselves or control or appease our children or the situation isn't isn't what's called for. We have to we have to do the reparenting and the nurturing for the littles that are inside of us. And so I'm sitting here like, oh man, my baby's gonna be 14. I can't believe it. And then my 14-year-old showed up. And I started to just think about her life. And honestly, I went beyond 14. I went 14 and 15 and just thought about some circumstances that I was in. I also want to tell y'all that for real, I am working on the book. Um, <laughs> those those details and stories and lessons will be in the book. Um, I've only recently, within the last few weeks, really started to recommit myself to it. So this isn't about like story time and telling the details. It's just highlighting that it got rough tonight. Because I started to think about and express out loud to Jay like these circumstances and situations I had been in. And there are a couple of conclusions. One is that I'm a miracle. I, I, I think those words might have come out of my mouth maybe a few times in my life, but not with as much consideration and thought as I, as I, um, as I put into it tonight. And what I, what I mean by I'm a miracle is as I was thinking on those situations, I had to just keep coming back and saying, but I'm here. And by here, I don't just mean alive. When I say here, I mean, I'm regulated. I have so much peace in my life right now. I spend so much time embodied, aware of my body, aware of my spirit, I have healthy, effective boundaries. Um, I'm I'm placing some distance between me, myself, and the capitalistic machine that values productivity and production, and I I'm turning away from that and valuing rest and spending time with my family and creating art 
and writing, creating music. Like I'm in a really, really good place right now. And I'm, that, that's not the natural trajectory that a person who went through some of the things that I went through slips into. I've worked hard. I've surrendered much to get here. So there is a deep gratitude that I'm experiencing And I've been in this state of gratitude all day. I called one of my best friends, Kara, after getting my hair done and having an amazing experience with my stylist, Brittany here, Kitchen Gray, former guest, um, gave her her flowers today because she loves, she loves me through attention to my crown and my head, my hair, and, um, I was just telling her how much I value her. I called Carol on the way home because I just, I had so much gratitude, but that gratitude felt different today than I've experienced gratitude before. I feel like a lot of times when I feel gratitude, I'm in my sympathetic nervous system. I'm, I'm, I'm energized today. It, it's, it's felt parasympathetic. It's felt, um, it's felt um, less energized. That gratitude continues because I'm here. I said to Jay, I'll say it here. I no doubt believe that there are many, many, many folks who have dedicated and committed themselves to their own personal healing, the healing of their families, the healing of their communities, um, which by extension is a healing for this whole ecosystem, this whole universe. I know there are people out there doing the work because I'm connecting with them. I'm meeting them. But I mean it, y'all. I don't know. I personally don't know anyone who's worked harder, who's committed themselves more to this endeavor than I have. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that somehow, and somehow I'm not trying to be nebulous. I, I think that's the word I'm looking for. I credit spirit. I call God daddy. I credit daddy. I credit my ancestors. I credit my village. I'm really grateful for um, a lot of the foundational resilience that my parents gave me. I really am. And I've gone through some things that no child or adolescent should have to go through. I've been unprotected in situations, scenarios, and places. Um, (laughs) That shouldn't have happened. And again, I won't go into detail, but one of the things that came up and it's just so wild to me is when I was 15, I got dropped off in Harlem (laughs) and it like, I'm not, not on a street corner. You know, I was, I was staying with a relative, but it was just wild for three to four weeks. I was just in Harlem trying to figure it out. (laughs) I didn't know any, I didn't have friends. 
I didn't have similar age relatives. Just wild. Um, but I'm here. I'm so grateful for being here. You're here. But there was just something about acknowledging the fact that my son was going to be 14 that allowed me to lay my eyes on that 14-year-old adolescent girl that I was. So smart, articulate, beautiful, and desperate for connection. I see her. I love her. And I'm protecting her. But I had to turn inward. Because if I didn't, all of a sudden, one, I think fear and anxiety would have shown up in lieu of compassion and, and love. And out of fear and anxiety, I think I would have started to anticipate what were the things that I needed to do to protect my son. What, what are the things, what am I going to make sure I never do? What are the things I'm going to make sure I do? What are the things I need to tell him to be careful of? What are like, what are all the ways I would have tried to control his life? I, albeit probably out of a space of what felt like love, but really it was fear. True love casts out fear. Because I was able to love myself and my little in that moment, the fear of, oh my God, my son is turning 14, it evaporated and it started to go, oh, first of all, this ain't his, this is mine. I don't have to externalize. Sometimes when we externalize these kind of things. It's an avoidance of turning inward. Then I started to reflect on all the ways that I have loved him well. I started to reflect on how autonomy and agency are not sporadic in his life. I started to reflect on the fact that he gets to be him unconditionally and that already has put him in a position to not go through some of the things that I went through. I was in a Reiki session um, a few weeks ago. I gotta I gotta get Diamond on the podcast, y'all. She's amazing. Um, she's my Reiki practitioner and I was on the table and I had this experience where I don't remember the exact prompt, but like one of the first ones, close my eyes, go to a place where I feel 100% at peace and safe. I found myself on a beach. And the next prompt, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something about going somewhere inside of myself. And I found myself in my womb, W-O-M-B. And I had never been in my womb before. <laughs> and it was this experience that was, it was shocking. I don't, I don't know, but it was so peaceful. It was so serene. It was so comfortable. 
I could feel love in my womb. And as I spent time in my womb while Diamond was clearing and all the things she does throughout the process, energy, I, I saw this flash of my, of my family line that goes back a little bit. And there's this cycle around firstborns. And I'm not the firstborn of, of my mother's children, just to clarify. But there is this cycle around firstborns that for quite some time, the firstborns are conceived in less than ideal circumstances. And those less than ideal circumstances lead to a lot of stress and a lot of shame and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety during the pregnancy. And all of those experiences, if you didn't know a mother carrying a child, um, a person carrying a child can transfer all of that because our fear and anxiety and all that stuff, it's its not just emotional, it's also chemical. There's a, a huge release of cortisol, which is a stress hormone in the body. And that passes through the womb and it impacts the child that's growing in the womb. So I just was able to see this kind of flash of my lineage and my recent lineage, but going back some ways of how the firstborn child conceived in less than ideal circumstances receives like all of this stress chemical and is, is being nurtured in an environment that doesn't necessarily feel safe and serene and peaceful because the person carrying the child does not feel peace, serenity, and things. And then uh, I got to myself in that line. And my first son was conceived in less than ideal circumstances. However, and I'm grateful that I, I didn't experience that stress. I am grateful for all the divine protection and things that were around, but it was also a choice. Um, that the less than ideal circumstances didn't um, didn't take away like my basic needs. I wasn't uh, at risk of being homeless or didn't have food. So like my basic needs were met and I made a choice. Oh my God, I'm go I'm growing a life. This is amazing. I had so much joy. I had peace, even though the circumstances weren't ideal. And so the womb that my firstborn um was nurtured in was different than the nurturing that the firstborns had been experiencing. Now to be clear, um being my mother's second child in circumstances that were very ideal, I also was nurtured in a womb that was peaceful and serene and joyful. And so 
there was so anyway, I'm I'm on the table. And after seeing that like flash of scenes, I heard spirit say to me, stopping generational trauma cycles doesn't mean that the cycle won't come. It means that we pattern ourselves differently in the midst of it. And that blew my mind. Some people might have heard that and they're like, yeah, that maybe you already knew that. I didn't. I hadn't thought of it that way. I have been verbally saying I, I am committed and dedicated to stopping generational trauma cycles, not only within my family lineage, but helping other people to do it in theirs. I have a T-shirt that says generational trauma stops here. Yet my perception of that was always that I was going to fight the cycle. Whether the cycle was poverty, whether the cycle was, you know, disembodiment, whether the cycle was a lot of cycles. I was I was focusing on the cycle. What do I need to do to stop the cycle? And what that revelation did for me is realizing that I don't have control over those things coming. What I do have control of is how I pattern myself and the environment in which I create for my offspring, my lineage, to pattern themselves differently. It's revolutionized my thinking, my being around this. So now I look at certain cycles that I've been so adamant and committed to stopping. And I realize, oh, I take my, take my, you know, my, my focus off the cycle. So let's take poverty, for example, right? I think the way I looked at it is if I can get out of poverty, navigate the systems in a way that I am no longer in poverty, then I can stop poverty from coming to my lineage, right? (laughs) But the reality is the way these systems set up, poverty can come whenever poverty comes. I've known way too many people who thought they, who have legitimately gotten out of poverty and then what? Economic collapse, global pandemic, illness, So the the things that they, the stock they've put into the things that have gotten them out of poverty are no longer there. So poverty coming back. We can't control that. There's, There's so little control we have over that. But what I can do is I can pattern myself away from scarcity and into abundance. When I start to be and embody the fact that there are plenty of resources. And I know the messed up systems, I, I'm not negating that. But when I, when my mind and my body and my spirit and my soul understand that there is abundant resource, then when poverty and scarcity and all this stuff starts knocking on the door by way of all of my business drying up a year and a half ago, inexplicably. I've talked about this before, right? That cycle knocked on the door, but I had to pattern myself differently. 
When I'm not in scarcity, therefore I'm all stressed. And so now I am lashing out at my family and I am trying to control circumstance that I can't control because I can't control the money and how I'm engaging with them is restrictive and constrictive. That leads to more scarcity which means I'm not patterning myself differently, which means they're going to engage with scarcity and poverty in the same way. But when I do the work and when I open myself up, because I don't want to harp too much on work. I work hard. This shit is hard, y'all. But also when I surrender to spirit and allow that work to be done in me and I pattern myself differently, my children can pattern they're already being um they're being conditioned in an environment that is outside of the cycles that have been part of my my family lineage this all makes sense in my mind I don't know if it makes sense as it's coming out but at the same time who's supposed to understand it I guess we'll understand it I'm doing the best I can right now but that's what I mean I'm patterning myself differently so they are being reared in a different pattern and then they have the resources to continue this new pattern and albeit even a different pattern than how I'm patterning because I'm giving them all the love to be who they are. That was revolutionary, y'all. It was revolutionary for me. It is still. So as I think about my baby, who is turning 14, the fear and anxiety and constriction and disembodiment and dissociation and all the things, attempts to control that I think would have been the cycled pattern in which I go into things, any of those, any of those things could have been how I've responded. I've chose to stay grounded and embodied I've chose chosen to, to 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 continue the healing journey, keep myself open to spirit and the work that is being done in me to to be in community with other folks who can see me, reflect me, hold me, receive me, be held by me, and it's changing it's changing my life. So I don't know if this is speaking to anybody. I don't know if folks can look back and go, oh, man, I feel like this is giving me a little insight. I do feel like things shifted for me when my child turned this age that's connected to this. The, the key is some of us are very aware of what some of our traumas are, the some of the circumstances, situation and incidents that we've been through. But this could also be a way for you to just keep a pulse and be like, man, why do things feel so different now? Because there might be things getting activated within you that you haven't consciously connected to your past. One of the big things where this shows up is neglect. Neglect is one of those really, really hard things to assess and figure out because you, you know, like, how do you miss what you didn't have? How do you... How do you grieve and mourn something that you didn't even know was actually available? Particularly when it's emotional, when it's social, when it's spiritual. So I don't know. 
I just wanted to share this because I know I'm not alone. Uh, I hope that someone felt seen, heard, understood, reflected, valued in what I've shared. If this didn't come down your street, I at least hope it gives you some compassion and empathy for parents. It's so easy to judge someone from the outside of what they are doing or they aren't doing. Compassion is hard. It can be hard, particularly when you're hurting. I'm not inviting anyone to do anything that I am not committing myself to do. Because even in the midst of all of this, I'm still attempting really hard to hold compassion and um, empathy for those who didn't protect me. For those who put me in situations that hurt me or could have hurt me. And that empathy is allowing me to recognize that these things, I don't believe that these things were done with malicious intent. Um, I believe that when we've gone through so much and we haven't had the things that I just talked about, community, when we haven't been reflected when we haven't been given things we don't even know exist, then it's 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 virtually impossible to give those things to your child. Not only do you not have it to give, you don't even know that it's a thing to be had. So when we look at cycles, I got stuck here for a minute. If this happened to her, then how does she let that happen to her child? And then if it happened to her, how does she let it happen to her child? How do these cycles keep going? Well, part of the reason they keep going is because we're patterned and you can't give what you ain't got. That the person who was raising you didn't know that being protected was a thing. So how could they have protected you when they were never protected to know that protection is a thing? Don't think just because we get older in age and we have children of our own that all of a sudden we know. But here's the thing. I know. (laughs) And that's why I'm a miracle. Because somehow. I have found a way to recognize that there is something I didn't get. Maybe that's the first step. And again, every time I say somehow, I'm not, yeah, so much spiritual protection and guidance and community, all the stuff I've said, right? But it's just, it feels very somehow to me. Somehow things I didn't get, I realized I didn't get, and then I found a way to get it. And then I found a way to give it to myself. And now, now I give it to my babies. And I'm not unique in the sense that it's only for me. But we don't get here with an external focus. 
I'm not speaking of hyper individualism where we only think about ourselves. I'm not talking about self-absorption. I'm talking about self-awareness and self-healing. That then overflows us and everything we do, we do from our overflow. What you are overflowing with is what you give to others, whether you want to or not, whether it's intentional or not. So it is not selfish to make sure that you are resourced enough to be overflowing with love. Because when you do that, everyone benefits from your overflow. We get stuck when we say, I got to love my kids. I got to love my kids. I got to love my kids. But who's loving you? And if you're not loving you, as, as much as you want to believe you are giving your children everything they need, you can't. You cannot. Because where is it coming from? So we start taking it from other places. Don't, don't. We have to resource ourselves. Oh, man. So I am so grateful. I am just so grateful. I am not naive. I cannot protect my children from everything that would come their way. I've all, now that I recognize that the cycle's gonna come, when the cycle's gonna come, I can't put all my energy and attention on the cycles. I have to put my energy and attention on how do we pattern differently so that they have a chance to pattern differently. And this thing was so, um, so much in me that I couldn't even (laughs) wait till later today. I'm just like, babe, can you set up? Can you set up for me? I got to get this out. And I'm grateful that part of my choice to um, pursue my purpose means that I'm willing to be transparent in the process. Because I feel like had some folks in my life, anybody really that I was close to or had access to been transparent in their process, I could have learned some things. I could have heard some things. And so that's my hope. It's my hope that my transparency allows you to hear some things, learn some things, get curious about some things. I'm not being diagnostic or formulaic. I'm not attempting to say this is how you do. I'm simply sharing my story, my life, my journey. Because I know there's somebody out there who feels alone on theirs. I felt alone on the journey. I don't like it. So when I, I sit down at this mic and I share, I'm inviting you into this and it's 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 um multi beneficial this is not me looking down and saying 
I'm I'm just helping you knowing that there is someone on the other side of this microphone listening to my words. It means I'm not alone. And you being able to hear my voice means that you're not alone. I get so many people who, when I meet them, sometimes for the very first time, they say, like, I feel like I know you. I listen to your podcast. (laughs) And I've said plenty of times, if you're like a serious listener, then you do know me because I keep it real here. I'm pretty open and transparent, but I don't want people to take for granted how much that means to me. I just get numbers. Um, I don't know who's listening. I just get numbers. How many people are listening? And I, I do want to say that I find it absolutely amazing. And it is so humbling and like crazy that at least every single day, Someone is choosing to tune into this podcast and and join me on my journey. There's not been a single day since the podcast began in February of 2020 where at least one person has not chosen to join me on my journey. And that means so much to me. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's hundreds of people a day, thousands of people a week. But for me, the fact that just one person every day for three and a half years has decided to join me on my journey has meant more to me than I can express. And so, um, thank you. Thank you for helping me not be alone. And I hope that you feel accompanied on your journey as well. I took a deep breath. I'm going to invite you into a deep breath. Yeah. I know that was potentially a lot to hold. Um, take care of yourself. It's never my intention to activate, expose wounds and leave you there bleeding. I hope that if you're listening, especially if you've listened for a while, that you have things in place to take care of yourself. If you're new to this, um, if you are a journaler, journaler, I encourage you to journal, write those feelings. You got whatever this stirred up in you, find a way to release it. Move your body. It can be anywhere from gentle stretching 
to, um, you know, high exertion exercise or movement, sing, hum, whistle, draw, paint, scream, yawn. Stop suppressing your yawns, by the way. Let those yawns out. Um, Put your feet in earth. It's literally grounding. Allow earth to absorb some of what's in there. Please take care of yourselves. Hydrate. Nourish your body well. Because I need you. <laughs> so I think that's it for now. Um, I want to give the biggest shout out to Jay. Yes, he's my producer. He makes sure this thing gets out and takes care of it. But y'all, he is the love of my life. And he holds me so tenderly. And so I thank you, Jay, for you were my um, prere- prerequisite preface. You, 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 your tender holding allowed me to come and do this. I want to, uh, I want to thank my nephew, Trey Angel, for the music. I want to thank my cousin, Steph, Stephanie Gist Spencer, <laughs> for holding me down in social media and just being there for me. And as always, my listeners, my village, um, my companions and community, thank you for being here with me. Until we connect again, you all be well.